Hello strangers and welcome to episode 35 of Strange in the Cinema with myself Paul Anderson and my co-host Pete Wall. Hello uh, Paul it's a fairly special day I think today is it not on episode 35 over here. It is my birthday Pete. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I know what you're getting at here but I'll let you, I'll let you lead well, into the questions we'll give, and take the we'll audience along for the ride. Away. I mean this show is nothing if not mysterious about the identities and, and inner workings of its two hosts but uh, I'm just going to give the, the listeners the hint that the episode number and your age might correspond Bond. They might be so. I mean, so mathematicians out there. Yes, you may be that. able to work out that. And I don't. Is this meta? <laughs> I don't know if this is meta or not. So yes, we are recording episode thirty-five on the day that I am thirty-five years old on the thirty-fifth day of the month. That's not correct, is it? <laughs> no, it, it, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll check, but I don't think so. Um, no, we're happy to be doing the show. Obviously, Paul's gone out of his way to make sure we get this one out on the regular Monday slot. So credit to you really well, for doing that. Well, it was already the reason I'm the reason it's late recording because obviously we did have a few drinks on Saturday, but we won't go there. Uh in fact no, we won't go there at all. But. Yeah, I mean <laughs> in, in the run into your birthday weekend, we were going to record on Friday and then it just seemed like we're going to be a bit distracted by all the sort of festivities ahead. So, we decided to keep it over till now. I think we're reasonably recovered from the weekend, so hopefully this thing just will about, be yeah. coherent. Yeah. Um so to get into stuff for this week as you know we have a structure to the show which is fairly rigid but then a bit of flexibility to go where we want in in the midst of all that. Uh today we've got a double feature. We're doing both Get Out which is the new Jordan Peele horror movie uh, sort of social drama. Uh, we'll get into that later on. We're also going to cover Free Fire which is Ben Wheatley's shoot up uh, sh- shoot up shoot out let's say yeah. um, phrasal verbs obviously not my strong point uh, in a warehouse uh, yeah a lot of gunfire a lot of big names and excited to get into that one too before we do as always we'll get to popcorn movies we'll also get to coming attractions and at the end of the show we'll do credits where we credit something good from the world of film yeah so we're going to change up the credit sequence ever so slightly um, we're also so it can be whereas before it's us paying credits to something related to films now what it's going to be is we can still do that, but what we're going to do is maybe there's something interesting in the film news of the week that we want to pay credit to. Yeah. Because that enables us then to talk about things that maybe are a bit further off, I think, that we don't normally discuss on the podcast. So it's like change of slight yeah. change of formula, yeah, but not too it's not just, too different. But it's just building in a bit more flexibility to that section of the show because obviously there's we're running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that. Maybe that's true. Um yeah, or also the the fact that, you know, sometimes things really stand out. There's uh, like the, the Bill Paxton thing we did and so on. There are things that we really want to talk about and give credit to an individual or a, a filmmaker or whatever it might be. There are other weeks where maybe there's more interesting news than there is sort of credit yeah. per se so yeah a bit more flexible but I'm sure you'll enjoy the, the and stuff there's not new box sets I can talk about every week that come out so right. you know I need some I need some other ideas so yeah, there we go there so we go. without further ado Paul this week of your you know leading up to your birthday I'm sure you've been very busy have you managed to squeeze in a couple of film viewings and what have you seen no I've seen nothing Pete okay so, well that's so, that section yeah, over so no. off we go into coming attractions <laughs> no I've seen uh, so yeah there's obviously a couple this week I want to talk about um, the first of which is uh, a very well, reasonably early Martin Scorsese film called After Hours, mm. um, which is something that someone had lent me, and I hadn't genuinely probably wasn't even aware that it existed, to be honest. I may have heard it mentioned or, or thrown around from time to time. Uh, stars Griffin Dunn and Rosanna Arquette, mm. um, and is 
I would say, a love letter to the New York nightlife. So it certainly sits in the genre of New York films. Um, it's a very, very well-written and smartly observed black comedy. Um, and after the disappointment of Silence, it was nice to see Martin Scorsese firing on all cylinders Not again. as much comedy in Silence, I think it's fair to say. No, there wasn't as much comedy in Silence. But no, I just yeah, After Hours is just great. It's, it's impeccably performed. It's lovingly shot um, and is very, very funny. Uh, there's a lot of quirky characters. There's a lot of neat cameos that I won't spoil here. Um, and a lot to like about After Hours, really. So. And would you say, I mean, it's hard putting you on the spot like this, but would you say it's one that goes into your sort of top few Scorsese films or maybe not not that strong of an endorsement? I think when you look at the list of top Scorsese films, you know, there's some there's some really heavyweight really heavyweight competition in there. Yeah. In there. So, no, I would say After Hours probably doesn't squeeze into the, probably wouldn't squeeze into the, the top, the top top Scorsese films but mm. certainly if you haven't seen it and are a fan of Scorsese then definitely check it out yeah I mean mediocre or not mediocre that sounds too damning I mean sort of um, middle of the pack in terms of Scorsese stuff is a lot better than a lot of other filmmakers best yeah, stuff absolutely. Right? yeah you've summed it up perfectly there yeah so um, talking about a lot better than a lot of other stuff uh, that does not apply at all to what I'm going to cover first today Paul <laughs> this is uh, the latest from Justin Kurzel. Justin Kurzel, um you've seen uh, I think his last film perhaps which was uh, his adaptation of Macbeth with Michael Fassbender yes um, which I very much very much enjoyed but... he came to my attention I haven't seen Macbeth yet he came to my attention with Snowtown it's quite a sort of violent um, was that an Australian film? yeah Australian yeah. sort of social drama that's, that's quite grisly um, this is grisly but for different reasons I'm talking about about Assassin's Creed, uh, the adaptation of the pretty popular um, video game franchise that's been around for the last, what, 10 years, 15 years now? Yeah, I, I think at so. At least 10 years. Five, at least six, seven games, I think, possibly. I think, yeah, yeah, I think we're talking about a decade's worth of output, and we've had numerous sort of iterations of yeah. the character in various settings. Um, the basic premise, in case you're unaware of the Assassin's Creed games, is that the central character is transported back in time to um, various situations from history through the use of a machine. That machine appears in this film in some form, and it's called the Animus, and it allows the character to sort of embody a person from history. So it's absolute twaddle, then, basically. It's kind the, of. the core conceit of yeah, the... Yeah, uh... I mean, in the games, <laughs> and I've pretty much only touched the first couple of uh, of. Assassin's Creed uh, titles earlier on the last generation of consoles and found them quite stylish not ever being fully won over I, I would agree with that to be honest and I think you know when they first played the original Assassin's Creed I was like oh this is cool historical setting and then they dropped the twist that you're actually in the animus and just like what? yeah Do you mean the Matrix? no no the, uh, the animus does the but does the film write any of these wrongs? Yeah, thank you. you know. I mean, getting back to the film, which is, is what we're here for, uh, Michael Fassbender returns from the cast of Macbeth to play the central character in this thing. Uh, he gives it his best, I guess. Having said that, I've seen him interviewed and he's admitted that he's never touched any of the games, which seems strange for someone who's being paid X amount of millions of dollars, presumably, to appear in this thing. Alongside him is the beautiful and, and talented Marion Cotillard, who has never been more blank. So it reunites the Macbeth cast as well, then? Right. Marion Cotillard may as well have performed her role on the other end of like a Skype call, just phoning in her lines, because she's not there. She's not there See, that's at, such at a shame, because I thought and I haven't seen it yet and I do want to watch it I thought looking at the talent involved and looking at the guys directed it's made Macbeth and looking at those two in the lead I thought maybe this could buck the trend of being a good video game movie yeah I mean I'm, I'm going to come back I'm going to circle back to that point at, at the very end in just a moment but I want to mention a couple other people that are here we've got Jeremy Irons kind of turned up to 11 to fairly minimal effect in this case sort of the worst form of Jeremy Irons I think 
Um, then we've also got Brendan Gleeson playing Fassbender's father, which is funny because we've just we've just reviewed yeah in in that their trespass against us, haven't we? So um, yeah, he comes back again. It seems a little bit confused about what he's doing in this film. Uh, we have also got Her Majesty Charlotte Rampling, so not all bad. Um, yeah, the problems are uh, to keep it as short as possible. The animus sections, which is a lot of the action here. Um, show instead of what you've got in the game where the guy sort of laid on a slab um, and then transported through wires and electrics to this situation a bit like the matrix uh, here we've got him plugged into a sort of uh, animatronic arm that kind of connects up to his spinal column and then when he's in these simulations he sort of jumps around in real 3d space in a room attached to this equipment and the director's taken upon himself to intercut the action that's taking place in 15th century Spain with Michael Fassbender jumping around in a room attached to a, to a crane arm which seems a very very odd choice mm. um, it's sort of stylistically and dramatically the the action as it is is passable the fight sequences that are actually taking place in the period setting look quite slick for the most part they do I was pretty appalled to see that no one swallow dived into a hay bale, which was what I came what? for when, yeah, it, when it comes to Assassin's Creed. I mean, we've, only, we've not even played all of the games, and that you know that would have been a given, really. It, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's a kind of orangey production design that's a bit bland and sort of sucks the life out of some of the sequences. There's absolutely no levity whatsoever. This is like a po-faced, serious. Like they're all taking the line readings very, very seriously, but it is absolute, like you said, kind of. Twaddle. Like it's ridiculous <laughs> what they've got here. They're, they're all looking up. They're looking for an apple, and they eventually hold an actual apple made out of like metal. It's yeah, appalling in that regard. Um, you mentioned Paul that we've got Cotillard and we've got Michael Fassbender. We've got this sort of A-list cast. Yeah, and I would say this actually undercuts the film more than it does it credit because it reveals to be even more of a cynical and cheap cash into the brand than you might have expected okay. we've had a lot of stuff from sort of street fighter to mortal Kombat to to you know the super mario brothers silent even hill, silent hill it. yeah pushed out from video game franchises that guarantee a certain audience and a certain profit really um when you've attached big name actors to this like yourself i had this perception that like this is going to be uh, a higher grade of material. Oh, I thought you were referring to myself being a big name actor then for a moment, but thank you. But, <laughs> but you've got to pretend to be humble on the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it just really, they should all be thoroughly ashamed of themselves when they're taking this check and they haven't bothered to even play the games that they're sort of representing on screen. So, yeah, please avoid this. It is not worth your time. I mean, I'm sure, Paul, you'll catch up with it. You're, you're a huge film fan, obviously. And a glutton for punishment when it comes to these films as and well. We, so. And we like, <laughs> we like games. But I would say to any listeners who are thinking going in, oh, maybe I'll check out the Assassin's Creed film. No, don't. Go go on to YouTube. <laughs> there are guys who do real-life Assassin's Creed. There's this guy, guys from I Australia. I did watch a couple of these, yeah. And those are a lot funnier and a lot shorter than this film. So check that out instead. Paul, what have you got? Take me away from this horrible mess of a film. Um, uh, I'm going to go from one mess of a film to another unfortunate mess of a film. Um, X-Men Apocalypse, which came out last year. Um, now, we've obviously talked with quite a lot of love for Logan uh, mm. in the, a couple of a few episodes ago. Um, and I've actually been quite a, always been quite a big fan of the X-Men franchise. franchise, franchise, franchise. Uh, possibly even over, um, controversially, quite a lot of the Marvel films, I think. Um, mainly due to the talents of director Brian Singer. Mm. Uh, so... I was very excited about X Men Apocalypse when it, you know, it obviously follows up Days of Future Past, which I'm a big fan of. Um, very big fan of, in fact, I did enjoy that film a lot. 
So I thought, well, what could go wrong? We've got Oscar Isaac as the villain. Apocalypse is a very cool character from the comics. He's almost like overpowered, potentially overpowered as, as an opponent. Um, and what goes wrong? Quite a lot. Mm. <laughs> uh, it just, for me, it's so disappointing it was directed by Brian Singer. It really was. I thought it, it feels it doesn't feel like a film that he's made. And having recently rewatched this again, just just this afternoon, in fact, um, it just feels like a series of quite entertaining set pieces with nothing that strings them together. Right. There doesn't seem to be any room for character development. There doesn't seem to be any room for story. They've completely wasted Oscar Isaac in some quite frankly rubbish prosthetics, um, and it just didn't go anywhere for me. It's, again, set pieces, great, but. Do you think, in regards to the conversation that we had recently about Kong Skull Island, do you think this is a case where sort of studio interference has something to um, to do with the reason that someone like Brian Singer, who is to some regard a sort of big budget auteur at this point, um, that he hasn't quite managed to deliver his no. vision to the screen, do you think? Or no? no, because I think he's got so much creative control over the X-Men films. Um, that I really I don't think you can blame studio interference on this one. I'd, I'd, I'd like I'd almost like to be able to, mm. but I think if if you look you know look how much he tried to, he tried to rewrite X Men Three out of existence in Days of Future Past. Um, so I think that you know the fan, the X Men franchise is to an extent obviously Fox owns it, but certainly X Men films are kind of his baby. I think, mm. um, and uh, you know and I think he will probably be involved with them for a long time to come. So no, I just. I just think he, he misfires. I think it, it misses where you know it misses where it could have been fantastic, and is for me a, a disappointing follow up to Days of Future Past. Not without merit. Don't get me wrong. I think some of the set pieces are interesting, um, but no, not great, unfortunately. Well, hopefully the next X Men. What is the next X Men iteration? Have we got one in the pipeline? Next Men. Next Men. Is that, <laughs> is that coming up? No, that's, like that's not a thing, listeners. I'm sorry. It's set in a um, high street fashion reset. I don't know. I think it's up in there at the moment because obviously certain events, without spoiling things, happen at the end of Logan. That mm. certain, you know, I think people who are not stupid can probably work it out. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, certainly hamper hamper future projects. Certainly past the year that Logan set anyway. So we've been intrigued to see where it goes. I think. It, what it needs to do, and I did I'm quoting, semi-quoting an article I read in The Guardian earlier in the week, actually. I think what they do need to do now, and I think one of the reasons Apocalypse suffers, is they really need to move away from this whole Professor X Magneto thing that's just been done to death now. Mm. And I think that, you know, doesn't help matters. Um, but we shall see. You know, I still remain I still remain excited. I, I'm Of all the comic book franchises, it's probably my favourite one. So, yeah. um, yes, I have. Can we optimistic. Get, can we get Famke Janssen back? She... She's still on it. She's still attached. Was she in she that could be. apocalypse? She's not in apocalypse. No, there's a younger Jean Grey played by uh, oh, Sansa Stark yeah. from Game of Thrones. Of course, there is. Um, moving on, my second popcorn pick for this week is a film I didn't have high hopes for. It is um, Patriots Day uh, from <laughs> lead sort of drum beating jingoist Peter Berg. Absolute uh, clagmaster Peter Berg. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny one, Paul, isn't it? Because we talked about Peter Berg last time where he sort of came to our, well, at least my attention, I think you agree with this, um, in uh, The Last Seduction as an actor and he had a, a career as an actor before he yeah. beca ever became a, a director. And then recently we've had this output that seems to pair him constantly with Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg and he himself seem sort of attached to the hip. So they did uh, Lone Survivor together. They also have done uh, Deepwater Horizon, uh, as I mentioned. 
Yeah, this one tells the story of the events before, during, and after, with a focus on after, the Boston Marathon in 2013, in which, um, th well, in total, I think three people died. And, Was it that long ago? That's scary. Yeah, and, and a couple of hundred people were quite horribly injured because the, the homemade bombs that were used on that occasion were full of uh, metal fragments and were deliberately made that way. Um, obviously, it's not the kind of film that you go in to lightly, I suppose, even though you've got such a sort of bombastic director as Peter Berg, this is serious stuff. And if you've sat through something like United 93, then you know that being around these events is pretty harrowing, whatever way you cut it. And I think a lot could be, a lot of criticism can be leveled against Peter Berg here and there, but I don't think that watching a film like this, you can think that he's taking these events lightly because he hasn't. Um, is he the right director for this material though? That's, well, that's my concern and probably why I haven't yeah, rushed to see I, it. Like honest. I said, I mean, uh, from the top, I I wasn't particularly expectant of anything um, sort of significant or particularly moving, more sort of a rah-rah, you know, go America, we can kill the bad guys kind mm. of story, which is what you get to an extent. But what he does here is he focuses more on what happened after that once we've got through the marathon itself and those awful events on on that day he focuses on the manhunt um that was involved in catching the two perpetrators yep. brothers who who carried out this this attack and actually there's a lot of detail in there that i wasn't aware of um probably to my discredit i you know i didn't read enough around the story but yeah i won't spoil anything um if you know you're you're going to watch this film but it's an interesting tale, and it is one tale from this raft of different sort of terror attacks around the world where you do have to look at both sides. You do have to think about for a moment how much surveillance, for example, was valuable in tracking and ultimately capturing or as it may be killing the, the perpetrators here and how the level of technology that the authorities have at their disposal in this case it can easily be argued was you know a, a fantastic tool mm. that allowed for people to be brought to justice who were intending on carrying out further attacks in New York uh, immediately after the Boston attack yeah um, we've got a few good performances Mark Wahlberg it uh, kind of Mark Wahlberg's his way through this you know he's always going <laughs> to come out yeah he's always going to come out being yeah. the hero even though he's a, a sort of side character but he, you know he does his, his Mark Wahlberg ridiculously best. overstacked every man that you can imagine yeah um, <laughs> you've got Michelle Monaghan sort of doing her weepy uh, significant other role that she gets too often I like Michelle Monaghan but I'd like it if she had more to do uh, J.K. Simmons is in this with a wonderful moustache um, doing, doing some good work uh, John Goodman, smallish role, but nice to see him doing something that isn't Better than Skull Kong. Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of nice to see him um, in something else, really. Yeah, I mean, I would say Paul, quite a strong entry from Peter Berg as far as Peter Berg goes. Okay, I didn't mind Lone Survivor. I was less keen on on Deepwater Horizon, mm. but I think this is a return to form. If I can go that far. Um, it's not going to be for everyone. Don't go into it lightly. It's obviously centered on horrendous events. Yeah. But, but I found it surprisingly engaging, actually. Okay. Good. So that brings us on to settling down into those cinema seats and doing the, the section that you know and love known as coming attractions. This is where we highlight a couple of films that are coming up that you might be interested in, listeners. Paul, what do you have this time I've got and ready for this because this is quite a long title I've got Balerian and the City of a Thousand Planets you've made that up that's not I a real that film is, that is a real film it's based on a graphic novel and it's directed by Luc Besson 
starring Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne's eyebrows. Right. <laughs> key players. Um, key players. Now, check out the trailer. There's, it's gonna, this is going to go one of two ways. Okay. This is either going to be the next Fifth Element, mm-hmm. or it's going to be the next Jupiter Ascending. Okay. Now, based on, in my opinion, the quality of Luke Besson's previous output, a uh, recent output, sorry, not previous output, uh, I'm going to go with it probably being the next Jupiter Ascending. Right. Um, it looks like it could be an absolute mess, or it could be amazing. It's, it's either genius or arse. It's definitely going that way. Do you think they'll include um, anything about bees not being like people? Possibly. <laughs> well, I hope not. But it... It, certainly, the visuals it looks stunning, and I think it will look stunning. It's just it's, it's an all-out sort of sci-fi space opera, very much in the in the vein of Fifth Element. Uh, Luke Besson, I will hasten to add, did used to be one of my favourite directors, if not my favourite director. Um, and then he kind of started producing what I like to describe as Euro trash action films, mm. Taken, um, Etal, etc. You know um, that thing with Kevin Costner, Nine Angel A. He did that. That was good. I like, actually quite yeah. like that. Um, but I did not like Lucy at all. Mm. Um, so, I actually fell asleep in Lucy. That's that's horrendous. I never fall asleep in movies, but I fell asleep somewhere in the middle of a, of uh, Lucy, and I did not expect. I may to. have woken you up when I shouted at the kids talking in the cinema behind me. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, it's either going to be genius or ass, but it certainly looks interesting. And regardless, it will get my it will get my bum onto a cinema seat. So yeah, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Well, I'll keep uh, my eyes out for that. Did you give us a release date then? Do you know what the release date is? Sorry. Uh, summer. Summer, okay. Yeah, well, it would be. I mean, <laughs> yeah. a big Luke Besson yeah. thing, it would make sense. Um, my pick for coming attraction is, I'm cheating a little bit here, Paul, because I believe that the official UK release date was the 17th, which was the Friday, right? Um, we haven't got it here. So it's a coming attraction for me, because by the time it gets to streaming services, it's going to be, you know, a couple of months okay. down the line. Uh, this I will is... accept that, Pete. Thank you very much. And do you know what? I'm, because it's my birthday, I'm feeling generous, so I'll let you have that. Cheers. You're a gracious man. <laughs> Uh, this one is The Salesman from uh, Asghar Farhadi, an Iranian director that listeners to this show will know was uh, the director of A Separation, which I love. And I still haven't watched, although I have it just to my right. Um, yeah, he's also known for uh, About Ellie and uh, The Past. Um, the Past is good, About Ellie I haven't caught up with yet. Uh, the basic outline of this one is that two participants in a production of Death of a Salesman, the, the play... Um, are, uh, there is an assault during this production on um, a teacher's wife and uh, this leaves the situation where um, the perpetrator is out there somewhere and the husband of this woman is determined to fi- find out who perpetrated this crime essentially but yeah the reason that I'm going to be there immediately for the salesman is really the strength of a separation and how recent in my memory that is and how really great that movie was if you haven't caught up with it yet this also i believe picked up the best foreign language film oscar in the end this time around oh okay yeah because it was it was in competition with tony Tony Irvin was the favorite and the salesman actually won the award for what that's worth i mean who knows but um yeah it's currently holding a 85 percent meta score for those who pay attention to things like that so yeah keep your eyes out where you can streaming and whatnot and uh, uh the salesman will be around soon i'm sure Right, which then brings us excitingly to today's double feature, 
Uh, so we only had one film last week, maybe because we hated it so much. Um, and a lot to say about that, Carl. Yes, uh, but our double feature uh, this week, I think we'll start with Free Fire. Happy to start with Free Fire, I'm Pete? more than happy to We're start with Free Fire. We're going to have to because I've committed to that. Shoot. Um, so Free Fire is the latest effort from British director Ben Wheatley, and um, as a tenuous, not, not really a tenuous link to After Hours at all, but executive produced by Martin Scorsese, mm. um, starring, amongst other people, Charlotte Copley, Michael Smiley, Killian Murphy, Brie Larson... Jack Rayner, I've nearly got down all the cast list, I think. Uh, Army Hammer. Now. Army Hammer. Um, and it's essentially, well, it's not essentially, it is a film basically set around one where, like, one warehouse location in an mm. arms deal gone bad, um, and people shoot at each other and make wisecracks at each other. For yeah, sort of limited the storytelling. of the running time. Limited storytelling in the sense that we've got basically, yeah, a bit of external or exterior stuff, and then one location and everything goes down in that one location we previewed it in coming attractions actually a, a number fact, of episodes this ago. episode is the first episode where in previous coming attractions we both we did get out and free fire as our coming attractions yes and now in this episode the feature review is free fire and get coming out. coming back round listeners uh, but anyway sorry deliver. so free fire ben wheatley I think I'm a bigger Ben Wheatley fan than you are. In fact, I'm confident that I am. So you start. Yeah, well, I'll go from from that point then, Paul. Um, We reviewed not that long ago the last Ben Wheatley thing, which was High Rise. And I think we came out of that where you sort of liked it a little bit more than I did. I liked it. Top 10 of the year, I think. I liked it, but yeah, it cracked your your list. Um, I love... No, that's too strong. I I really like um, Kill List. Uh, my favourite Ben Wheatley is Sightseers, and then there are things in there. A field in England is one. Um, high rise to a certain degree is another, where I'm a bit more lukewarm. Um, going into this thing, I had high hopes because the cast is really strong, because uh, the first sequence of the film is so efficient, because the setup is, you know, puts you into the centre of this kind of unfolding disaster of manners really really smartly really, mm. really well and then bullets start to fly it's fairly fast paced it's well edited it's exciting but then I get to my reservations about this before I get into those though tell me what I've missed or anything more that you want to add to the positive column for this film I think from the positive column uh, I personally found it very entertaining i like the cast a lot i think shelter copley definitely stole the show i thought it was on was, fine form yeah he was he was everyone it was it was it was clear that everyone was enjoying themselves whilst they were filming it um and it was obviously clear and assumed that the director was obviously enjoying himself while he was filming it i think in the positive comment column i thought it was very funny uh for pretty much all of it um i thought the action was was well handled um i said i enjoyed ben wheatley's films um even for me though I'd have to say towards the end I think the kind of the central conceit of this just one set piece probably wore a little bit thin towards the end I don't think it had enough enough about it to keep up the the energy till right at the end although I did enjoy it yeah I mean I think coming out of this because I've had a bit of time to reflect I remember us coming out of the screening and I just said I hated it I hated it I hated it and I think I may have cooled a little bit on on that some of that ire but I think the button that it pushed for me is that sort of fairly smug self-congratulatory um postmodern even postmodern that's that's a bit unfair I mean, is it is it post postmodern because it's kind of a comment on reservoir dogs isn't it right way, but... right yeah i think you're getting more to to what i'm trying to say actually is that the the sort of for example the feel that i had in um in django unchained when tarantino just gets into like the entertainment here comes in people being shot to death 
and cracking wise in between and swearing a lot. And I don't want to come over like some sort of prudish sort of conservative, but sometimes <laughs> in this film, just the, the language just like, just brought me down a little bit. It felt just overdone. It felt like characters were, it, there was such sort of nihilistic feel about the film that I got to a point about an hour in where I was like, what what's this in service of? And if it is just, it looks cool when people in 70s, you know, very well done 70s uh, costumery uh, with great moustaches are shooting each other and saying funny shit, then like, cool, that's great. We've got a B movie that's got like a, a you know, an, a, a major movie budget. Power to Ben Wheatley, he's got that made. How he's got that made, I guess you have to look back at that back catalogue of films that we've just talked about and the faith that the industry's put in him. I just, just for me, it, it started to deflate about 30 minutes in and it was like a, a balloon just losing all its air to the point where I just thought I want to see a film about some characters with like human emotions and I think you know I I'll concede that although those are problems that the film has I don't th I think that where we where we differ in opinion and where I think I well I know I liked it more than you did mm. uh, is that that yes those those issues are there for me it didn't start to deflate until not too far from the end um, and I just thought as as a throwaway fun action film that was quite witty with actors that I like and big fan of Michael Smiley um, yeah so yeah and I for the probably the same reasons you didn't like it I did quite like it mm. I mean I said this to you coming out Paul and do you think it's fair comment or not I felt like I would probably have a very different opinion about this film if it had come at the end of say a five part mini series and this was the climactic episode where by that point you're invested in the the plot and the characterization of all these people who've gathered in this location in this film we're in the warehouse and we're in a shootout within about five minutes of the start which as i said at the beginning could be a great benefit a real credit to the director because it's so efficient in its setup but i don't care about any of these people i would agree with that and again because there's no there's no time to give context to the characters so they're all they're all kind of coded as assholes to be perfectly honest mm. um and yeah I take your point on that. Uh, yes, maybe it would have been better if, if you know, the shootout had come at the end of the film where he'd actually got some time to live and breathe with the characters because he was so quick and the whole film is just a shootout. Yes, actually, when they do start dying, you don't really care. Mm. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And, and I don't want to get that confused with the idea. I had a huge argument with someone once about uh, the show Mad Men. I don't mm. know if you've watched Mad Men. Yeah, yeah, much, Mad but, Men yeah. But, but this person contended that the reason that she couldn't get into Mad Men is because there was no one to root for because the central character, Don Draper, is so sort of unlikable. Yeah. Now, the massive departure there for me, where I love that and didn't particularly like this, is that the inner life of Don, Don Draper is pulled apart and dissected and scrutinised over episode after yes. episode after episode. So you really get inside the psychology of that character. Without that here, I just feel like you've got this operation of sort of... I, I hate just reiterating style over substance as the way to like bash anything that isn't about, you know, people crying in sort of a Swedish <laughs> cottage yeah. in the winter or whatever. But at the same time... I. I can't get that far with a director where we're just supposed to high five and say that everything like looked cool because it just felt like a devoid of, of, of a sort of humanity and it felt like a bit of a sad indictment of maybe where we are as a culture where you know just just cool ways to reload a gun is like yeah but there's space for films like that of course of course so, there are Paul and again maybe if this I'd were... rather that than Kong fair yeah. <laughs> I think maybe if, if this had existed as something I sort of bumped into on you know a, a late night t TV screening yeah. or a, a streaming service yeah. or something that would be different because it was built up as like this is the next Ben Wheatley it just felt a bit like oh I see when people have 
put faith in you, you can finally do the sort of nerdy as fuck thing that yeah, you wanted to no, do years ago. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Free Fire, you know, check it out for yourselves. Obviously, it's ignited debate between the two of us, so I'm sure it will with listeners as well. And we love this kind of stuff. I live for this kind of debate. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, take your own, uh, make your own decision, I suppose, and, and come back to us and let us know what you thought about that one. Which, um, well, talking about films that are going to divide people uh, to some degree or other, uh, the second feature for today, Paul is uh, Get Out from director Jordan Peele, his directorial debut. You'll know him, I'm sure many of you, from Key and Peele, the beloved uh, Comedy Central sketch show uh, with Keegan-Michael Key. In this film, um, he sets up a plot in which a black uh, African-American young man is in sort of mid-twenties and his white girlfriend are going to go and meet her family for the first time I think yes and I think to be honest it's going to be a difficult film for us to talk about because we don't want to drop any major spoilers yeah I think um, we talk around this yeah, film we'll rather try, than getting we, yeah, into yeah I think we'll try and much. talk around what kind of what it you know around it rather than the plot because you know there are you know there's surprises in there that are great um, but definitely should should remain a surprise I think it's evident though from the trailer though that obviously the you know the the mixed race couple uh, the black boyfriend is taken to meet the white parents and uh, it all doesn't go quite to plan, shall we say. And I think that's probably about as far as we'll go on, yeah, on we, the plot. We've got in the, in the role of the protagonist, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, he's a British actor that I thought when we did the preview of this, I said I don't know him from anywhere. He's in Sicario. He's in Sicario yes. and he's also in uh, One Million Credits, which is the Black Mirror episode where he's in a sort of dystopian future uh, and okay, everything's yeah. based around how many yeah. credits you can acquire in, in that world. And I believe from what I've heard that that's where Jordan Peele sort of got the um, impetus to cast him in this role okay. from, from that Black Mirror performance. Uh, alongside Alison Williams that we mentioned in the preview is uh, one of the stars of Girls, the HBO series yeah. uh, created by Lena Dunham. Um, we've also got alongside here, well, alongside the, the parents of the um, Alison Williams character, played by Bradley Whitford. Who is one of my favourite people. I love Bradley Whitford, and I'm glad he's in this, and I would like to see him in more things, because I've always loved him as Josh in the West Wing. Yeah. He was great in Cabin in the Woods, and he's superb in this as well. He was in um, Other People as well, the cancer drama that I saw okay. last year, which is pretty good. Um, Catherine Keener plays Again. his wife, which is a fantastic Again. bit of yeah. casting. Fantastic, because you know, when you see the film, we're not going to spoil it here, but if you know Catherine Keener from things like um, Please Give or Sideways, she's this sort of warm... Um, earth mother kind of figure yes. who soothes people and comforts yep. them and understands them and feels a lot of sort of guilt and white guilt in some of her movies as well um, and in this role she's doing something a bit different yes. uh, without going too far into that but perfectly sort of yeah. up her street I think um, yeah let's dig a little bit into um, the issues around the film because we talked about this before and after the screen that we saw Paul the fact that Jordan Peele is maybe ideally placed to make what is somewhere between a horror film and a sort of um, social drama uh, because of the fact that he is uh, himself biracial. Um, he has, I believe, a black father or had a black father who may be deceased now and a white mother. Okay. Um, and his co-starring Keegan Peele, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, is also biracial. So when that series was taking off, they met with some... Um, trepidation about how their stuff was going to be accepted or um, processed by the black community as well as to some degree the white community yeah. because they are sort of coming from both sides of, of and it, that it, line. you know the, the series um, obviously we are to talk about the film but the series does toe the line uh, pretty well I think um, 
so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how well prepared he is. Do you think, though, that I kind of feel that this film initially mm. may have been written as a sketch for the pair of them? It did have that feel. Which is not a bad thing at all, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And there's certainly one role in it that I think possibly could have been played by Jordan Peele. Um, you know, yeah. the guy that the, the guy that tries to help them out. Yeah. Uh, towards the he sort of features more prominently towards the end. I think I think maybe it was a sketch initially. For yeah, them, but. I mean this this film. Um, you, you mentioned that scene, and again we keep saying it, but we can't talk too much about what the scene is. You'll realise why when you see the film. But that scene taps into, and an earlier scene, very early scene in the film, both tap into an inherent fear of the police. Yeah. Um, for African American, particularly African American young men. Yeah. Um, after things like the Trayvon Martin case, which had such a big impact on this area of, of the sort of cultural conversation um, and I think that Jordan Peele handles those scenes with some real delicacy and also a very keen eye for detail mm. now we're podcasting this show as two young let's say uh, <laughs> relatively, <35. relatively laughs> uh, comfortable uh, white men and you know we we are not going to try and escape. We probably couldn't be more middle class if we tried, really, or white. We couldn't be whiter if we tried rather than middle class, I think. But I'm working class, Mesh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are obviously coming this from one perspective. But I just think that the the dialogue surrounding Get Out is almost as sort of interesting as the film itself. Well, I I would agree with that, and I'm, I'm going to steal your quote. So apologies, but I think you made you made a comment when when we came out of the cinema watching it, and the. I th- and I think I just sort of expanded that slightly. I think it's a film that a lot of people seem to focus on that is about racism. And I would say, yes, those elements are there. But as, as you said to me, I think it's more a film about white appropriation of mm. black culture than it is actually about direct racism. I don't know where you... Yeah, and it saw those things tied up together to a certain extent because when the, the um, boyfriend character here, Daniel Kaluuya's character, goes to this um, fairly sort of stately home in the countryside where his girlfriend's parents live, he's subject in the, in the first sort of act of the film to these kind of m- microaggressions, right? Where he's having conversations with people, um, white people, who are making comments that uh, where they perceive that he will be able to relate to everything they're saying. It's more patronising than racist though, I think. But, yeah, but, yeah, but it's that kind of thing that, again, we don't have this perspective, but if you are an African-American or, or, um, or black British person and you are in a situation where people make assumptions about you purely based on your race, mm. those things are like, you know, death by a thousand cuts in a way. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the great strengths of the film is it isn't all about huge um you know attention grabbing uh drama no and it feels although the plot does get quite outlandish towards the end uh, or very outlandish shall we say and i think you're you're right and i think that's part that's one of definitely the the biggest one of the biggest strengths of get out is it's kind of for want of a much better word like realistic racism if that makes sense like do you know what i mean not not overtly like people calling people names and sort of beating people up well it's exactly that It's, It's, it's the kind of thing where people um think that in the white community that they are uh we're in a sort of post 
racist society because there was uh, well the whole mention of uh, the father would have voted for Barack Obama a third time yeah. <laughs> you know, th this yeah. idea that because there was a black president nobody who voted for Obama for example can ever be accused of being racist yeah. and that's really not the point here and on a ground level mm. and on a sort of social interaction level you can see that these problems are, are endemic in, in a number of people from yeah. not only the highest strata of society like we see in the film but, but throughout society in many places I wanted to mention a couple of things that I think are interesting mm. on this as well. One is, um, we're talking about Kim Peel. When Kim Peel's stuff first launched through Comedy Central as a sketch show, uh, one of the great sort of shadows that they were in was, of course, Dave Chappelle and yep. Chappelle's show. And uh, I, listeners, I'm sure, may be aware of this, but Chappelle co-wrote the show with a guy, Neil Brennan, who is white. Uh, Neil Brennan's recent uh, stand-up special, Three Mics, is on Netflix at the moment and gives some insight into that process and his relationship with Chappelle and stuff like that. Now... Dave Chappelle, uh, as we know, went away to South Africa when things got uh, bigger, I guess, in terms of his fame in yeah. the United States. And he was really on the, the vanguard of, you know, using comedy to attack ideas about uh, racial prejudice yeah. in, in the United and States. And very good at it as well. And fantastic. fantastic the Chappelle show was great. So. And, and now he's back. He's recently been on Saturday Night Live. He had uh, a tribe called Quest um, performing on, on television in the United States, which is not a thing that's happened in a very long time. Mm. The picture of Trayvon Martin in the background. Mm. Um, very prescient to the stuff that we're talking about here. Uh, but also, Neil Brennan, in recent output, has talked about the fact that He's someone who largely associates with uh, African-American friends. Um, Jordan Peele himself is married to Chelsea Peretti, who is a white woman that you'll yeah. know as a stand-up comedian herself yes. and, and on um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, yeah. and stuff like that, right? And uh, herself and Neil Brennan agree that th that thing you were talking about, about cultural appropriation, is sort of so widespread now to almost have become... Uh, a, a new normal, a, a buzzy term that's thrown around these days, but the sort of new normal in the sense that, you know, whether it's the uh, like Miley Cyrus end of this conversation or or riff raff or things a lot more subtle than that, particularly through hip hop or, culture. Or the, the white rapper Snow from a few years back. Right. <laughs> Who the hell is that? Yeah. yeah. But, but this has almost become um, something where you know, hip-hop now is so pervasive in our culture. Um, people identifying with a culture and a sort of history that is not really their own has become the most normal thing in the world. Mm. So I do think that the film coming out at this time is very inclusive, and I don't think it's a mistake. I think Jordan Peele knows that this film, he wants to attract both sides of that conversation. He wants to attract uh, African-American people of colour. He wants to attract white viewers to the film where everybody has some kind of access point yeah. to these interactions that happen between the characters, yeah. right? And I think on in that regard, it, it succeeds. No, and I think, just, you know, to, to wrap up somewhat, um, actually, it, it doesn't... It succeeds on that level, but, and credit where credit's due, it does also succeed as a horror film. Mm. Um, it's it's dark. There's some very there's some very creepy set pieces. It's as you'd expect probably from Jordan Peele. There's a lot of black comedy in there that hits very well. So not only is it a very it's a very important cultural film, and actually I think it's a film that's cultural importance will only really come to light a few years down the line. It's actually called Comedy of Color. Comedy of Color. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, and I think yeah, and I think that you know the cultural importance will will come to, certainly come to light 
in a few years. Yeah, I mean, as I've just said, but it's but also it is a very effective horror film. Yeah, right. And he said, I mean, big influences like uh, Rosemary's Baby and yeah. Stepford Wives. I think particularly he keeps talking about those in interviews yeah. anyway as big influences. And yeah, you you get that sort of front and center in yeah, this thing. And, and it's very yeah. The, you know, the first the kind of opening gambit, the first half is is creepy. There is a. An, a and, and an imposing like, sense of dread, which I, I love using the term sense of dread, but there is, there's a there's a palpable sense of dread, that's the term and, that I was And like, like cycling use, back to something you said, which was about how, you know, originally the genesis of this could have been a sort of uh, Key and Peele sketch. Yeah. You can just see where he's ratcheted up the yes. horror elements and the yeah. tension to a point that is sort of way beyond anything that they oh, because, touched you know, on Because, the, the, you know, the core conceit of what's actually going on is, is absolutely ridiculous, so it can be nothing but laughed at. Mm. But And that's not to, not to the film's discredit in the slightest, because it is in that um, tone. But last thing and, and I wanted to just quickly get this in there has been some Samuel L. Jackson led uh, controversy or sort of small controversy about yes. the casting of a British actor in an American role in the case of Daniel Kaluuya Kaluuya it's not the drink um, where's, where are you standing on that is there anything at all to talk about uh, Samuel L. Jackson might have a point if Jordan Peele had casted a white man in the role but really does it matter what country he comes from you know as as, Dan, as, the, as Daniel Kaluuya did uh did come back to Samuel Jackson and say, actually, you know, I am black and there are the the, the same pervasive racism does exist in Britain. So, um, mm. sorry, Samuel Jackson, no, it doesn't matter. Well, and I think he'd also said, like, no one's talking about Andrew Garfield, yes. for example, taking yeah. American roles all over the place and yeah. many, many, many yeah. other actors. So it seems and like Garfield a bit... can't really act that well. Right, so, and it seems know. like a bit of a, a, bit of a non-starter, that yeah. one, really. But, yeah, you know, we got into all kinds of stuff in, in this review because we don't want to talk directly but, about the plot do you know what it's fine a great if, Samuel Jackson, if Samuel Jackson wants to bring more attention to Get Out then he's more than welcome to yeah ab- <laughs> absolutely and hopefully some attention away from his own film Skull yeah. Island which, in which he just stomped all over all the other actors yes. so maybe they should have got a British actor in that role who knows um, right let's get out let's get out of the feature section and into the credit section so I'm going to I'm going to jump in here yeah do um, because Although it may seem sometimes like I'm sponsored by Netflix because I keep banging on about Netflix. Oh, me I, too, man. I feel like I bang on about Netflix a lot. But Netflix have once again done something quite cool. So I'm going to pay credit to an, an article of film news. As I said, we're changing up the credit section slightly because I can only talk about Blu-rays for so long. Um, the Other Side of the Wind is an incomplete Orson Welles project mm. uh, that Netflix have decided to pick up and fund the completion of it, working with a number of the original cast members how cool is that? Fantastic. Whether even whether it's any good or not is kind of irrelevant to the point. It's the fact they're doing it. The sure, fact yeah. they're doing it is great. So the fact they can, you know, they they're making they're making a commercial success of films. They're also pouring some money back into things like that. So more power to Netflix for doing this. I'm very excited to see an unfinished Orson Welles project finished. I think Peter Bogdanovich is on board. who was in the original cast. I believe Dennis Hopper was in this film. I can't remember the other cast members off the top of my head, but but check it out. Um, so more power, and this is coming soon. You said this. Well, they're funding the completion of it. Okay. So as as to when it's coming out, I, I don't know yet. Um, I'm I sure, would assume I'm sure it's coming on Netflix. But no, knowing Netflix, <laughs> they will not let you be unaware yes, of the fact yes. when it when you, it, when you it is certainly coming. Certainly, this coming. So uh, you know, I think that's cool. Where, where do you stand on that? I think that's you know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm a big advocate. At this point, we were having a conversation about this actually just the other night when we were out for your birthday, but where I think that Netflix in the UK at least took a lot of flack when it launched, the library's a lot smaller than the US and yeah. so on. I think it's got better and better and better. There are features they've added which were, you know, big improvements and steps forward. And like you said, I think central to any film fan's appreciation of the services that they are actually 
doing some good service for yeah. filmmaking, not just pumping out you know reality TV series that have been binge watch and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, all for it, man. That's great news. Oh, that's me done with my credit. So what what have you got? What have you got this week, Pete? Um, I would like to give credit to well, basically coming out of our discussion about. Um, about Get Out and Jordan Peele and, and so on and uh, all the issues surrounding that. I've discovered a new podcast not that long ago. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Another podcast? Apparently there are a couple other podcasts now, Paul. So, uh, yeah. Okay. If, you've got, if you've got more than like 51 minutes or whatever this is going to be in your week, then you can get to this too. Uh, this one is called Code Switch and it's um, published by NPR, National Public Radio in the United States. I'm sure you're aware of them. They put out tons and tons of different shows. Um, recent episodes of the show include uh, one called The Horror, The Horror, Get Out, and The Place of Race in Scary Movies. Um, it also includes in that episode some snippets of interview with Jordan Peele Does himself. it include in that episode everything that we've said and we're just going to be told off for plagiarising it? Or have we done, or have no, we done better? No, no. I think, I think if you're interested in what we've talked about, it will give you a, a better grounding in all, in all those issues. Um, also, they've covered stuff like uh, I, I'm Not Black, I'm OJ, uh, which obviously was a, a pretty famous statement that's been... Yeah. Yes. brought back up in the cultural consciousness by the two OJ I've Simpson just started things. watching Made in America the, the Ezra Edelman yeah. right yeah. which yeah. won the won the best Oscar yeah. as well best documentary Oscar and um, also one called uh, Why Do We Still Care About Tupac so the, the focus of the show is basically that they're dealing with um, the place of race and ethnicity in the cultural uh, consciousness at the moment and in as much as it relates to things like filmmaking and music and popular culture so for me really really interesting great conversations great interviews check it out if you have the time which brings us to the end of the show i think isn't it i think i think Pretty it does. much have you got a line for today um i was thinking of a line earlier actually and yes i have okay you go so uh, as you know we close out with a line from a film uh, you have to figure out what was out. last week's it was oh goodness uh, it, okay it was mine and, yeah. it, and it was the line uh, don't walk before you can run I kind of like running ah uh, yes which uh, Paul was from which film was from Fifty Shades Shitter yes Fifty Shades Shitter Fifty Shades Fifty Shades Darker guys because so, we're supporting indie film yes right? Paul so what have you got before we, before we close on before we close on on the quote uh, you can find us on at Twitter at Twitter <laughs> just search <laughs> just at, tag Twitter, at Twitter you you'll find us there uh, at Stranger Cinema on Twitter uh, Stranger Cinema on Facebook and Instagram uh, Stranger Cinema at gmail.com and yes, iTunes Stitcher send us some stuff yeah like send us some emails give us some listener questions we'll include them on the show you're going to be an integral part of us going forward if you send See, in we know there's more people listening now comments and questions so dude we've got to us. we've got an episode that's about to roll into 2000 downloads I'm excited to hear from any and all people who've been listening to this show we love that you do this you give up you know up to an hour of your time each week for us um, we love that you're taking an interest but you can do just a little bit more tell somebody else about the show tell your mate you know your mate down the pub who never has anything to talk about you can talk about this now tell him um, yeah and more than anything get in touch we'd love to hear from you and what I want to hear is what film is this from go bar weep grana weep ninny balm see you next time <laughs>